Welcome to the Shamanic Author Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Worm. Are you a coach, holistic, or spiritual entrepreneur struggling to write your first book? The Shamanic Author Podcast will help you release that resistance inside yourself so you can access that state of being that writing requires. See, society has it all wrong. From a young age, we're told that we have to have the house, the degree, the fancy car to be happy. But the truth is, we have to become that state of happiness, and then the material success follows. You're human beings, not human havings, right? So I'm so excited for this episode today. Let's explore energy, alternative health, first-time author challenges, and book publishing marketing strategies. If this sounds like you, I want you to head over to mountainmindtricks.com slash ultimate-guide for a free ultimate aspiring author guide. There's three steps in there that'll teach you exactly how to write a book that makes a big difference in your spiritual business, in your holistic or coaching practice. And if you want to know when the next episode is live, get updates and learn more about the shamanic writing process, follow me on Instagram at mountain underscore mind underscore tricks. That's mountain mind tricks with underscores. Follow the podcast and subscribe to the show to make sure you get the notifications when I release new episodes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for my guest today, Lori Ann. She's a internationally award-winning author, intuitive mentor for women. And oddly enough, I was just on our podcast less than an hour ago, and so we're just switching roles here. And it's, it's, it's so powerful to be interviewed and then interview the person that's interviewing me. So I'm so excited for this swap. And what an amazing podcast you have, Lori. And could you could you introduce yourself and let us know, like, how did you become a writer what was that journey like to writing your first book and like what happened to make you become an author? I think most people go through something that inspires them to write a book, right? Absolutely. And yeah, I, I would say that I've been writing since I could hold a pen. I mean, that's just like, I, I remember, I think I was in kindergarten, actually, trying to learn the alphabet, you know, and, and I just, I really struggled to get the letters in the right order. And I remember asking my mom, like, why does this matter? I can already read and write and know what the sounds are. Why do I have to get the letters in the right order? Who cares? Um, you know, so it just, it was, I just kind of feel like I always did it. I know there was a learning process at some point, but I don't recall that piece because it came naturally. And I know the, the first time that I really got paid to do any kind of writing was when I was about 10 years old. I was hired by an entrepreneurial family member to start doing newsletters for their clients. Uh, and I just kind of rolled from there. But it wasn't until I would say I was in my late 20s that I actually decided to write a book. I remember growing up thinking, okay, I'm going to be an author someday, but I assumed that that meant writing fiction because that's all I read. It was all I was aware of as a kid was fictional stories. And every time I would sit down to write something like that, I would get halfway through it and go, yeah, but it's not real. I don't care. And I wouldn't finish them. And so I sort of gave up the idea for a long time. And it was so funny because I got into reading nonfiction, especially through college. And then, you know, just I absolutely loved it and kept reading it. Then there was a point in my life where I think I was about 28 or 29, somewhere in that general vicinity. 
And I was going back through my journals, years and years of journals. And I laughed at myself at one point because I realized in about June or July, every year for about six or seven years in a row, there was this idea that would come up and I always came out and I was always writing about it as if it was this brand new idea I'd never had before. And it was the idea of writing a book. And after seeing that pop up literally six or seven years in a row, I was sitting there going, well, maybe I should do it this time. You know, <laughs> like clearly right. this, this keeps surfacing. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I should do something. And after at that point, years of writing nonfiction or reading nonfiction, I should say, I finally went, oh, I could write a nonfiction book. That made sense. So that was the part of the reason for sitting down and doing it was to just see if I could. Um, I'd written a lot of short things, articles, newsletters for businesses, you know, all that kind of stuff, but actually writing a book, it's like, okay, I want to see if I can do this. Um, so I just, that's, that's what really started it was literally going back through my journals, going back through all of my own writing to inspire me to get to the book finally. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so interesting that you mentioned the uh, non or fiction going to nonfiction. I'm actually writing my first fiction book right now. And it is so interesting to go from nonfiction to fiction and, and trying mm. to write that and experiencing that change. So uh, mm. that, I love this. I, I love that. And, and so what was like, what was, I guess the inspiration for the first book, like what was that initial idea? Like what was in that journal? Well, the, the journaling, I mean, I've, I've been an avid journaler since I was a kid and, you know, clearly it's on and off at times. And, you know, I, I know that I have gone through periods where I haven't for a while, but it's always been there. I have boxes of my journals that go back for decades and an agreement actually with a couple of girlfriends, like if anything ever happens to me, don't come to the hospital, go to my house and burn those journals first because I can't do it myself, but I don't want anybody else to read them because it's just my place of emptying all the junk out of my head that, you know, so that I can think clearly and process things. And so I know that it's, it's not stuff that I believe necessarily it's the junk I need to get out of the way. But if somebody else were to read all of that, they would not know that. Right. And so I journal in a way to keep myself mentally, emotionally, and spiritually healthy. And if I don't journal, I start feeling like a dried up old sponge, like the energy, the creative juices, the aliveness feeling is just not there. So I, I tell people I, it, you know, writing isn't something I do. It's part of who I am. And there's a huge distinction there. Oh, wow. That's so powerful. Cause I, I think for me, it's like, I think it's like, um, if I don't write, like I start to get aches and pains in my body. I don't feel so good. I won't sleep very well. It's almost like mm -hmm. eating and drinking at this point. Like I have to write something every day. Otherwise I don't mm -hmm. feel good. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I, I've become aware too, that if I'm not writing, there's probably something I'm avoiding processing. Like sometimes when I'm going through really intense experiences, 
I'll notice my journal will shift to only talking about the facts of an experience instead of how I'm feeling or thinking or it'll, you know, and I start realizing, okay, there's something here I'm not processing through for whatever reason. And I need to create space for that. So I watch for that in my journals too. Um, but it is, yeah, it's just that place of, like I said, it just feels like it keeps the energy of life itself moving through me somehow. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. Um, but yeah, it just, it makes such a difference. And I know, you know, you asked about really the, the impetus for the first book, choosing that topic. Um, that was really something that was born out of watching my mother have a brain aneurysm at 49 years old and realizing, you know, anything could happen at any time in our lives. I mean, I could walk out my front door and God forbid be in a car accident and not come home that day, you know, and I was 27 at the time. So coming face to face with mortality that closely at that age really shook me. And it was a time in my life where everything was completely off track. I had been living all of the shoulds and nothing that I wanted for myself at that point. And this place of really waking up to, you know, wait a minute, I had my own dreams once. What were those? I had other things that I wanted to do. What were those? And I wound up getting a life coach and working with her. Uh, and that made a tremendous difference. And so one of the points in that process, I remember, you know, I, the stress was so great after my mom's aneurysm that I actually stopped eating for a period of time. And I remember stepping out of the shower one morning and really seeing myself for the first time in months. And what went through my mind was, I'm already dead and it's just a matter of time before my body follows. And there was some part of me, it wasn't my ego, it wasn't my mind, it was this other, whether it was my soul or higher self or whatever it was, but I heard that voice literally screaming in my head, you know, just no, she didn't want to die yet. And so I thought, okay, I need to figure out how to live. And so I started asking myself, like, okay, I know I had dreams once. If I could, you know, who am I without the shoulds? Who am I without the expectations of my parents and the culture or, you know, the community that I am? Who am I without, you know, the, trying to meet all of my family's needs first? Who am I underneath all of these other shoulds and expectations and, and stuff of life that, we build ourselves around. Is there a part of me that exists regardless, that is infinite? And could I create a way of articulating that level of truth for myself so that any decision that comes along in my life, I can bounce it off of that articulated criteria and then decide, okay, is this what's right for who I am and, and, or not, you know, and, and live with that set of criteria in front of me. And 
it took quite a bit of work to first work through my own journey as far as discovering myself again, and then going back and learning to articulate those things. And so that book, You Rising, Reclaim Your Life, Live Your Purpose, is really the articulation of how to get underneath the shoulds, how to get underneath the the, the expectations that are placed on us, whether it's we absorbed them from somewhere and placed them on ourselves or society or whatever, and really articulating who we are and living with that. So ultimately, by the end of the book, the the reader, the participant has a vision, purpose, and values statement that becomes a living set of criteria they can bounce everything else off of that comes up so that they can stay true to who they are um, as long as they use it. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate your story. And, and of course, I think folks listening that have listened to the podcast before them know that your story is very similar to mine, where there's this this sudden loss or this sudden change in identity. And it's, it's, it's a really hard thing to go through. And, and to me, as you were speaking about this, it almost sounded like, I think some people explain it as a shamanic death or there's this death of the ego. And, and maybe that's not the quite the right description, but it seems like there was, there was that old programming or old beliefs that did fall away in that, in that time of your life. Right. It definitely. And it's interesting because I've had, I want to say two uh, of those kinds of experiences. And that first one um, really felt more like a waking up, like it rattled, like I was living that zombie lifestyle, going through the motions, doing what I had to do. And that one woke me up and brought this other piece of me back to life. Um, Years passed and, and, you know, I, I would, say maybe some part of me went back to sleep or I don't, you know, just life situation and circumstances. But about six years ago, um, my, at at that point in time, my kids were 12 and 15 and they gave me an ultimatum and it was either break up with the person I was dating or they would never speak to me again. And to me, that's a power dynamic. That's, you know, and I recognized it as a call for, you know, greater relationship of some kind, but the wording of it was definitely a power dynamic. And although I feel I did absolutely everything within my power to find a different way through that experience, ultimately speaking, my children actually took me to court and divorced me and I haven't seen or spoken to them since, since it's been about six years now. Up to that point, my identity was wrapped around being mom. And, you know, so the initial experience had woken me up, but I still had my kids and I still had, you know, those things. My son had special needs and I just made sure I was always there for them. I didn't fully recognize just how deeply my entire life and identity was wrapped around being mom first. And so losing them in my life, that was a whole nother level of identity destruction and recreation. And that was the point at which I really realized, okay, yes, I can be alive, 
and yet not have a complete relationship that's healthy with who I choose to be. So I took it to another level. And the shift for that second time has really been a focus on, I want to say sort of a a reversal of, of the magnetic energy. I don't know how else to explain it from being externally focused because being mom is about a relationship with something outside of myself. So there's the external focus to now my identity is completely centered within myself. It's not based on anyone or anything outside of that. It's completely based on who I choose to be and how I choose to show up in the world. And that's something no one and nothing can ever take away from me. There will be influences, there'll be relationships, there'll be all those things, but it's not based on a job. It's not based on you know, a relationship with anybody else. It's not based on a role that I might play. It's not based on, you know, it, it's entirely based on who I choose to be. And I have control over that. And I get to decide, am I in integrity today or not? Regardless of what the stories are that anybody else might be sharing about a decision I made that they may or may not understand, you know, am I in integrity with myself? And can I look myself in the mirror and say, yes, I did everything possible today to live my best life on my terms. And that's a powerful place to come from, but it does take a whole lot of work to get there (laughs) quite often. Yeah. Wow. Thank you again so much for sharing, going really deep, because I think this, this goes so deep into like our societal norms, into the beliefs that we're given as we're young kids about how oh, there's just so much there about finding ourselves and, and not just who we're supposed to be, but finding who we really are at the deepest core. And I think that that self-discovery journey is is the reason we're here on this planet, you know, is to find ourselves, Mm -hmm. to find that self-love first, I think, right? I absolutely believe so. And I know there's, this is going to be a gross overgeneralization because I know there are exceptions and things are shifting and I love that. And yet there are still ways in which unconsciously I see these things playing out where quite often men in our culture are taught to grow up, find themselves and be providers. And they wind up connecting their identity with their job. And if that job goes away, they're in trouble at an identity level. Uh, For women, it's more about grow up and get married or create a family type of thing. There really isn't encouragement for girls to find themselves first. Uh, it's really more like, okay, you're going to grow up, you're going to get married and have kids and and that's your life. And it's like, hold on a second. I would love to see a world in which every man, woman, and child is completely supported in discovering, owning, and really deeply embodying the truest parts of who they are as beings and being able to express that throughout their lives. Right now we have a culture where because of socialization, because of generational baggage we carry with us and all kinds of best intentions maybe, but we wind up separating children from who they're born to be. And we have to go on this journey of reclaiming that as adults. 
And there's not a lot of support or understanding around what it means to reclaim that. And it's shifting, it's changing, and I'm grateful for it. Um, but I want to see more of that. And ultimately, if we can create a world where you're just never losing it in the first place, that's what I'd like to get to. Yeah, I love that. And and it just reminds me of, um, for folks listening, the uh, the book by Bruce Lipton, uh, Bruce yeah. Lipton, The Biology of Belief. He has this whole chapter on conscious parenting, and he goes into the science and to mm-hmm. all the way down to the cellular biology of how these beliefs get programmed and imprinted into our psychology. And it's a fascinating read, and it really is kind of the I, I think it's the turning point of humanity is that zero to seven years old. And and so mm-hmm. I just love your message. Thank you so much for seeing that, Lori. And, and I want to shift a little bit to to the writing process, the writing process that you went through with this book. You know, you are rising or you rising. Um, I, I want to hear about, you know, what was like that first draft? What like was there was there almost like this connection? Was there? like a connection to God or something like was something helping you write it or what was that like for you that first draft? Um, it was really, really, really hard actually, to be honest. Um, I didn't have a support system around me. So I was balancing. My kids were really little. I was working full time, um, married at the time. My husband didn't totally understand what my need to do it was. Uh, so I was needing to create space. So there was that sort of um, challenge going on on a regular basis. And then there was the internal piece of shifting from seeing myself as a writer and journaling and those kinds of things, which is very personal, to seeing myself as an author. And the shift in that, it doesn't sound big, but to be an author for me felt huge and frightening and scary at the time because it's like, well, now all my words are going to be public and there's a different level of responsibility I need to take for what I put on the page. How am I going to manage readers' expectations when I can't talk to them? I can't explain what I meant if it comes across wrong. You know, like it it really kind of tied me up in knots and I didn't have anybody who knew enough about writing at the time to talk with about those things. So I was sorting all of it out on my own and trying to manage life while it was unfolding at the same time. And I didn't know how to write a book. Like I knew how to write articles. I knew how to write newsletters. I knew how to write business documents. I'd never written a book. And for some reason, for a while, that was really like, how do I take one concept and keep the thread going to create a whole book. Like, how does that work? I had to figure out how to break it down. I had to figure out how to conceptualize it in a way so I could wrap my head around it. So what I did was start thinking of it more, you know, rather than a full book, each chapter was an article, basically. So I broke it down mentally and focused there. And and I'm pretty good at creating structure. So I started doing that and just breaking it down into smaller chunks and pieces that felt more manageable. And one of the things I discovered along the way, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with outlines, to be entirely honest. Um, they work really well for a number of people. 
I've been an author coach for about 15 years or so, and I've watched people go through their own processes in a number of different ways. And some of them love outlines. Some of them are more like me. They're like, you know, love, hate things. Some of them just don't use it at all. And we back into the structure and form later and it all works in the end. So I don't think there's any right or wrong way. But I did discover that in using an outline, instead of putting a statement or a couple of words that I wanted a chapter to be about or a section to be about, I created it as a question. And it made it so much easier to sit down and just start responding to the question. Like, you know, I know you've, you've mentioned you, you like the NLP world and that type of information, and it's actually based in NLP. The brain is unable to ignore a question. So if you put the right question in front of yourself, it's just so easy to go, okay, well, now I'm just going to start answering it. And so when I created my outline with a series of questions, I could sit down at any time and just pick a question to answer. And it, and it really opened up quite a bit for me. The other piece that I know came up a lot for me and constantly comes up when I'm coaching somebody is, is the idea of time. I don't have enough time. We have this concept that we have to sit down for an hour or two hours or half a day at, a, at you know, in any one sitting to be able to write a book. And that first book, when I was actually writing it, I was working a corporate job that was 40, 50 hours a week. I had one child in kindergarten. The other one was still in diapers. My husband at the time was launching a business and I was helping him in that as well and whatever quote unquote free time there might be in the midst of, you know, everything else that life entails when your children are that young. Uh, and so I learned to write that book in one to five minute intervals. And what I mean by that is that I would just, this was, let's see, the early 2000s. Phones were still analog. They didn't have note functions on them or anything like that yet. So I carried around a little notebook in my purse and a pen. And if I was stopped at a red light and had a thought, I would jot down at least one or two words, if not a question or a statement that would remind me of what that idea was. And I kept a folder in my desk of all of these little fragments of ideas. And so every once in a while, there would be that two-hour block that would open up. It's like, oh, dad took the kids to the park. They're going to be gone for a while. You know, so I would sit down. And as long as I had been doing that process consistently, I could sit down and create a chapter or two fairly quickly in that block of time. If I had not been consistent with jotting down all those little ideas, I would sit down for that block of time that I would magically have and wind up sitting there going, well, what do I do? What do I talk about? What do I write? You know, and, I, and it, that time would disappear. And so I would just keep that, you know, those little one minute, two minute, five minutes. And as I found five minutes, then I could start spotting 10 and 15 minutes, you know, those breaks at work, um, my lunch hour, things like that. So as I looked for time, I began to find it. I also began to make it in the sense that I realized, oh, well, I'm sitting down for, you know, two, three hours in the evening watching these TV shows each night. What if I just skipped a half an hour? 
And so that became writing time. And I realized, well, I really didn't miss that half an hour. What if I just missed a whole hour, you know, kind of thing. And so I built it up to create space, but you don't have to have the blocks of time to get started. It can just be simple and easy and, you know, the little bits here and there add up and make a tremendous difference when you're consistent with it. Oh, wow. I love that process. And it's so interesting you mentioned the outline because my first book, there is zero outline in it. I feel like it took so much longer in the editing process for me personally. And now I write with an outline, but it's not, like you're saying, for me, it's it's not so detailed of like, this is the exact, you know, the paragraph and the next paragraph and each bullet point in each paragraph. It's more like, here's a couple ideas and I'm just going to free flow that whole chapter out. And, and I, I think, um, you know, some people have different processes and I love what you're explaining because I feel like that's, it's almost like our unconscious mind is always speaking to us at that red light or we're driving or we just have a couple minutes to relax and it's like, oh, there's an idea mm-hmm. and capturing those. That is so beautiful. I love that. And, and I want to ask you, you know, especially as an author coach and, and writing your own books, obviously, was there ever a time for you? that you went through maybe, you know, I guess I don't really love the label, but like imposter syndrome or like who's going to read this book or that kind of fear. Right. And, and I'm also curious on how much have you seen that with your clients? Because from my experience and all the authors I've interviewed, it's, it's almost like this rite of passage we have to go through as a, as an author. Right. Um, I would actually say I'm still doing it. Like it, definitely came up on the first book clearly like just the shift from writer to author was like that it that was the worst that was the hardest because all of that stuff came up at once and I had to figure it out on my own um with the second one the it was still there I would say it was a little bit less just because my second book, Leverage, it's one for authors. It's based on my master's thesis where I took all of the 60 plus years of research into how to be highly influential as a business leader and applied it to being a nonfiction author and really came down to 10 very specific things that authors of nonfiction can do to really make a powerful impact through their book, even when they'll never meet the reader. And there's very specific things that can be done to do that. Um, But that one, so, you know, I wrote it one way for the thesis, of course, that got turned in and earned the master's, but it was so academic. I'm like, okay, well now I want to shift this and rewrite it for a mainstream audience. And so I had the points, I kind of had the structure But it was interesting to try to shift into a whole different sort of way of wording things and translate that knowledge into a a slightly different format. So that one wasn't so much, I want to say, imposter syndrome because I did have, you know, the process of having earned the master's just sort of back me up mentally. But it was still a whole different process and a little bit difficult. I would say, though, I have in me another book that is wanting to emerge. I know it's going to be a memoir, 
which is now again an entirely different format. I haven't played in that arena before. And so I'm, I'm re-experiencing all the imposter syndrome stuff coming up again because I haven't played in that arena. And part of it is the expectations now. It's like, oh, but I am an author. I should know what I'm doing and I shouldn't have any questions. I should, you know, should, 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 right? <laughs> Shooting all over myself um, on that one. But it's still very much there because it's new. It's different. It's, you know, so I don't think it necessarily goes away. We just learn how to manage it differently. And I have seen that with the authors that I work with too. Every single one of them, every single one has those questions, especially on the first book. You know, who am I to be doing this? And I always tell them that it really comes down to, you know, who are you not? You know, that idea was given to you. This is your life's work. People need to hear your voice your way. And quite often the response is like, well, but it's all been done before. And they start listing off all whatever celebrity authors in their arena are. And it's like, yes, but as a reader, how often do you only read one person's perspective on a particular topic and can go, okay, yeah, now I get it. You know, no, as readers, we're constantly looking for different voices when we're interested in a topic. I said, so Give your voice to the readers too. They're wanting it. They're listening for it. You have people, you know, in your in your family that value you. You have your friends circle. Many of the people I work with um, have businesses. They're professional speakers, trainers, consultants. You know, they have their audience that wants more of them. And so, why not put it in a book? You know, it's it's an incredible leverage point for those with a message that are making a difference. Oh, I love that so much. And it's so true. I think having a book, having a book, if you're a coach or an entrepreneur or whatever it is, you just have that, you know, that author in your title. And, and it's not about the title. It's just about being that expert in that book that you wrote in. And I think you're right. It, it gives you so many more options. It's, it's opened so many more doors for you as an author. Mm -hmm. And, and I want to say thank you so much for, for sharing that because, you know, I do think most authors feel like they're alone in that, in that feeling of like, am I good enough to actually write this book? And, and, and I think everybody has to go through it. And, and I, I just want to say thank you for sharing that and hearing that every single client you've worked with has gone through some sort of version of that. I think it's important for the listeners to hear because, you know, the podcast, we're here to inspire that person that's got a book that's screaming in the back of their mind. That's like, that book is just waiting to breathe its first breath and, but they're scared. Right. And so mm -hmm. just thank you. Thank you for that message. And, and I want to shift a little bit here and ask you about, um, you know, I know you've done traditional publishing. And I know you've done self-publishing and there is a switch for you. And I would love to hear that story because I think there's so many first-time authors or people that are thinking about publishing or thinking about writing a book. They're not really sure which one's better. What should I do? What's it all look like? And it kind of gets them overwhelmed just thinking before they even write something, like how am I going to get published, right? So I would love to mm -hmm. hear that. Absolutely. And it's a lot of fun for me because it's part of the conversation I always have with my clients because ultimately it's their decision. It's awesome to have options 
And I will say up front that there are pros and cons either way. And so it's really about what is your end goal and where are you now and which one's going to really get you there. Um, but for me personally, my experience, I, so I wrote the first book and I did actually find a small publishing house that accepted it. And I was super excited about it. And so they were reviewing it and going through it. And at one point they let me know, you know, gosh, it's so well written. We're actually going to skip the editing phase and go straight into just line proofing and, and just move on and get it ready to go. I was like, oh, that's, that's a heck of a compliment. Um, you know, especially as much, as much of a challenge as it was for me to figure out how to put a book together to hear that. Um, from the publisher just felt really, really good. That experience, though, was interesting because one of the things I discovered in that was like, okay, well, they're still expecting me to do all of the marketing myself. Absolutely all of it. There was not going to be any monetary support. There was not going to be any kind of PR support. There's like literally no support from the publisher. I had to do it all myself. And I would get, so they were going to list the book for $12.95. The royalties to me would be 25 cents per book after it had sold X number of copies. And I don't remember what that number was, um, but X number of copies because they wanted to get paid for all their time and energy first that they were doing to get ready for, you know, the actual publishing. And so I'm like, well, okay, but at least it's, it's going to be out there. It's with a publisher, you know, and I didn't know any different at the time. Well, ultimately, before it actually got published, the uh, owner operator of that particular publishing house became very ill and had to shut down. So I received my rights back. Uh, before it it ever went anywhere. So that's when I started exploring self-publishing and discovered, well, I'm still doing all of my own marketing, so that hasn't changed. Uh, but there are ways I can get all of the same things done for myself. So finding a proofreader, getting a cover done, you know, all of those things involved, make it look professional. And I can still list it at $12.95, but rather than 25 cents, I wind up getting between four and seven dollars for the same retail. And I'm like, now wait a minute. So why would I find a publisher if I'm doing all of these things myself anyway? You know, and so I I went ahead and self-published uh, and have continued self-publishing because of that. It used to be in the publishing world, and it's something that I, I dug into pretty deeply as part of my master's program, that publishers used to help with marketing. And there used to be a, a criteria around the quality of writing as well in order to be with a publisher because there was so much marketing. Everybody's you know name was on the line, so to speak. That has shifted over the years. Publishers have really been forced to fo focus more and more on the bottom line. And so I have seen and witnessed how many publishers will now 
take a book that may not be all that well written, but because the person can market it effectively as the author and the publisher will make money, they'll go ahead and publish that book. Um, whereas really good books, if the person can't do their own marketing or doesn't already have a platform built, the publisher won't take it, even if the book's really good. There are exceptions, of course, to that. Persistent authors can find an agent. Sometimes agents will help with quality or help open doors. And it takes a lot longer that way. Self-publishing, of course, you can get it done pretty quickly on your own at a very reasonable cost. So I have seen a lot of authors will go, okay, well, ultimately I want to be with a publisher, but I need to prove that this will sell. So they'll start out self-publishing, build their audience, build their platform, and then go to a publisher. I have also seen authors who have been with publishers for many, many years, have many books with a publisher who have decided to go into self-publishing because they can make more money because they have their platform. There's different reasons today that people will do different things. And it's really, you got to do your research. You really, really got to do your research and decide for yourself, what are your goals? What is it you want to get out of publishing? For Nonfiction authors in particular, one of the things to watch for is if you are with an agent or with a publisher, read your contract carefully because publishers will often put in phrases or clauses that indicate, you know, any derivative of this work also must be approved by the publisher or is not otherwise allowed. And I'm, I'm aware personally of one author who wrote a great book about her concepts. She was a consultant, wonderful book. She wanted to then take that, that material and turn it into a workbook and a set of workshops, which makes absolute sense for a consultant to do. That's how they build their business. But because the original book was of the publisher, the publisher said, no, you cannot create the workbook and you cannot create the workshops because we own the rights to the material that's with us in the original book. And she had to take him to court, get the book back, get her rights back before she could continue building her business. And so those are things to watch for and take into consideration. There are consultants and trainers who do work with publishers, and it's been a wonderful, great relationship for them. So it doesn't happen always. You just have to be really aware. Make sure you do your research. And, you know, like I said, know what your goals are and make sure whichever route you take is meeting your goals. Oh, I love that so much. There's, there's uh, so much value in there for the listeners of what a traditional publishing house looks like. And, and I think that's a big myth that so many first time authors think that, Hey, if I write this book and it goes to a traditional publisher, like automatically I'm going to be bestseller. It's going to be easy. They're going to do all the work and that's it. All I have to do is just turn it into a, to a traditional publisher. And it's just, like you said, it's just not the case anymore. And they really, they don't do anything for you in, in yeah. some cases, in most cases from my understanding. And so um, I, I love that you were highlighting that. And, and to me, I love the self-publishing because you have the rights, you have the, um, all the royalties that you can and you have so much more freedom. And, and one of my favorite things is, you know, maybe there's a mistake in the book or something shows up where a reader, 
you know, lets you send you an email. It's like, Hey, there's, there's just one typo here. You can go in there and change it. And it happens in 24 hours. And so that, that book can actually be evolving all the time and rewritten and so many more editions. And it's so much easier to self-published author instead of having to go through the publishing house and have somebody else do all that for you. Right. I, it definitely is. And I honestly, I kind of have a love hate relationship with that too, because authors have sort of flooded the market. And so it takes a little bit more for new authors to get in, get a foothold uh, and prove that their work is worthy of being paid for as well. Um, I, I, my personal opinion and bias, I'll just say that up front, uh, is, you know, having watched this phenomena that Amazon has created where it's like, oh, give your book away for free to make it a bestseller or 99 cents to make it a bestseller. And at first years ago, when that started, it really would launch books. And then, you know, once the free period or 99 cent period was done, you'd see those books continue selling. And so that would work. Today, we don't see that happening. People are giving them away for free or the 99 cents. And as soon as that's done, it stops. And so they're not making up the difference. So you really have to focus far more on building your platform, having, you know, building your email list, building your audience, creating that environment where people are finding you and seeking you out and reading your material in a number of different ways. Uh, So I love self-publishing because of the freedom you're talking about. And if there was a way that I could take all of the authors who are doing it and say, look, let's work together to build this environment in a way that lifts us all up and adds the value of what we're doing back into the whole process so that readers will start paying for books again, because we deserve to get paid for how many months and hours of our lives we're creating a piece of art that is being cheapened by the market. And like I said, there's my bias coming out right there. But it's it is an interesting world we live in. Um, yeah. 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 Absolutely. And and uh, I'm curious on do you help your clients build their platforms? And and I'm curious on you know is there any social media platforms that you recommend or like what does this author platform look like for maybe first time authors or maybe seasoned authors that are listening? Like what does that platform look like you know you mentioned um email lists like for me you know my idea of a platform is you know having a blog a social media email list maybe even a podcast like it's really this like it's this multi-prong media platform that's kind of got tentacles everywhere right that's that's probably more advanced but that's my idea of author platform and and ultimately speaking that is what it needs to be multi prong because there are those who want to hear it there are those who want to read it there are those who want to be able to skim through it there are those you know that want the book format so any way that you can reach out to different you know segments of your audience is good. But to get started, you don't have to do it all. It's really best to just start with one place, one thing you're comfortable with, and then add a little bit at a time to it. 
for so I, I work specifically with nonfiction, which lends itself to the marketplace a little bit differently than fiction will. There is some crossover um, that can be used, but just as I talk, kind of be aware of that a little bit. So I generally work with those who either have been professional speakers, trainers, consultants for three to five years or more, um, or with those who are wanting to get into it. And so they have their message, they have their core expertise. And so their book is typically about that expertise. And so being able to have that book as a leverage point is it's the best business card they could ever have in their business. Because one of the things they can do with that, for example, is go, okay, you know, of course, at this stage, once the pandemic is, is done, but, uh, you know, hey, I want to speak for a particular organization, or I want to speak for a particular charity, or, you know, those kinds of things. One of the recommendations is to create a list of the top 100 places you want to speak for or do workshops for their employees or, you know, whatever that looks like, but create your list of 100 and then start at the bottom of it because you're going to be learning along the way, right? And so by the time you get to your top number one that you really most want to work at, you'll have gone through the learning curve for yourself around how how to do the follow-up, how to answer questions, you know, all of that. So you want to start at the bottom of the list for yourself, but send them a free book, you know, basically introduce them to what you're talking about and how it works for their organization and let them see it. And then have a follow-up program that gets their attention. And there's kind of an art around that that is constantly changing and shifting. Um, and that's a, its own conversation, but always have a follow-up to that. And ultimately speaking, those who give away 100 books strategically and intentionally wind up making tens of thousands of dollars on that process in the speaking gigs. And that's a leverage point. Um, in that process also, you know, you can be doing articles or excerpts uh, on specific elements and have those as kind of a, you know, a downloadable type of thing, you know, because ultimately speaking, even today, even, you know, despite everything about the marketing world that has changed and shifted, email is still the number one asset for an online business still today. Absolutely. Always be finding a way to collect email addresses. Um, without that, you could be sunk quickly because most of the social media platforms, yeah, you have a network, but you have no control over the algorithms. You have no control over who's going to see any particular post or message. And those algorithms are constantly changing and usually changing against you to force money into spending on ads because the platforms want to make money and they need to make money. So in order to keep control of that asset, you need to have them on an email list of your own. So all of the social media platforms can be great for initial connection and some kind of community, but even like in a Facebook group, those people are not going to see every post. They're just not. And so you still have to encourage them somehow, 
occasionally. Don't knock them over the head or get annoying about it. You know, keep it in a social friendly context, but find a way to invite them onto your email list all the time, whether it's a, you know, free consultation or conversation or a download or, you know, whatever, always be doing something to build your email list. And then as you build that, you know, with each new release, now you've got that many more people that love you, they're in your audience, and you just send it directly out to your email list first, maybe they get a special edition of some kind, or maybe they get the preview or, you know, something special before everybody else does, you know. Um, But yeah, ultimately speaking, it is about having a variety of things, but starting small with where you're comfortable and expand a little at a time. You don't have to do it all, all at once. That will just overwhelm you, shut you down, and you won't do anything. So one thing at a time. It's often really even good to start while you're writing the book. And that's a place that works for some and doesn't for others. And that's okay. Do what you're comfortable with. If it is something you're comfortable with, it's a great way to engage the audience because you can say, hey, I've got this draft. Here's what I'm working on. And maybe share an excerpt from it and get feedback from the audience. And that works with fiction as well. You know, you can really get a lot of feedback and conversation going when you're sharing different pieces in progress. And maybe somebody in the audience spots something that's inconsistent and can point it out so you can fix it. Maybe somebody in the audience has a great idea that really adds to it. You can build it in. Or maybe just the fact that there's conversation around it uh, is great. I see a lot of authors that are like, hey, I've got the cover. You know, which of these three versions of the cover are you most interested in? Or which three versions of a title is the most attractive to you, you know, and get polls going in your social media. That creates incredible engagement. And you learn a lot about your audience in that process as well. So it's mutually beneficial and engaging for everybody. But again, the number one asset, no matter what, is building your email list, always, in every form. Oh, I love that so much. And and there's so much value in there. Um, everything that you said, like, thank you so much. And, and, and for everybody listening, you might have to re-listen to that, to that section, like five times to get it all, because there's literally Lori just taught you how to build an author platform exactly the way it should be. And, and like she said, it's brick by brick email list by blog, by podcast, whatever it is, it's just this slow growth that really everything funnels down to the book, the business, the whatever it is, the email list is really king. And so thank you, Lori, so much. And and for uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can they, you know, maybe reach out to you to be uh, coached by you or um, how can they find you? Uh, the number one place is actually my website and it's just my name. It's Lori Ann Rising and it's L-O-R-I-A-N-N-E r-i-s-i-n-g and that has links to my social media it has links to my podcast it has links to uh, services and and things as well and if there's a contact form there so if you have any questions I would absolutely love to hear from you it actually does come to me and I answer those personally Uh, so yeah just my website laurieannrising.com oh thank you so much and and what are your you have multiple podcasts is that right 
I do. Uh, you Rising is a podcast where it's just me, um, and we're really talking about more the spiritual journey of reclaiming our identities and how to express that in a day-to-day real life like okay this stuff comes up and I had a human moment what do I do with that you know (laughs) kinds of things uh and that one's kind of fun there's three formats uh one of them I'm actually doing coaching with somebody so you can see how I'm coaching and what that looks like um by getting engaged with the podcast Uh, Sometimes I'm doing interviews with others around uh, some pretty cool topics. And then other times I'm just sharing my own life journey because I'm living it too. You know, this isn't about me being a guru. It's about let's show up and and help each other. Um, The other one is uh, Rise and Shine. And that is a family variety show that I've been doing uh, with my co-host, Mark. uh, And that's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, and that's the one your episode is going to be airing uh, shortly as well in a couple of weeks here in June. And we're excited to be sharing that. So, um, yeah, you can find me all over the place, really. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. And, and yeah, and I think Mark's going to come on the podcast as well for your listeners. That's going to be so awesome. And and uh, yeah, thank you so much for an amazing interview. And is there any any questions I didn't ask you? Is there any place you want to go um, anything you want to clarify or go deeper in? Oh my goodness. We didn't go deep enough. I, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I am always open to questions. I love questions and I'm excited to be sharing. Um, I'm actually starting a article series. It's called questions you're afraid to ask. And so people can submit questions anonymously. uh, And I've gotten a few already. And I mean, think of it kind of as like a Dear Abby, but with a more modern, deeper, I want to say spiritual context. And, And I don't mean religious. What I mean is really that personal journey, the deeper levels of of what it means to be human uh type of response and so that's getting started i do have one up it's uh on my blog on my website and i'm working on responses to additional questions and very much look forward to people sending in questions it's free it's 100 percent anonymous There are options and opportunities if you want a more personal response directly to you as well, rather than seeing it posted publicly. It's totally up to you, but it's all there on my website as well. And I'm really excited about seeing that take off um, and, you know, just engaging people at that deeper level. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love it. Uh, That sounds like an amazing idea. And and, uh, maybe I'll send you a question anonymously. Would love uh, so that. Great. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much for an amazing interview. So much value, so much heart to your story. And and uh and for everybody listening, please check out her books, uh, the links, like just go check out Lorianne because uh she's an amazing person. She has such a such a great heart, and and I'm just so glad you came on the podcast and shared your story with us. And I hope for the listeners, I I I'm just hoping we inspired you to listen to that voice that's screaming in the back of your head, you should write a book because all you have to do is 
like tap into that higher consciousness and write it it's there it's in the ether and god spirit consciousness wants you to write it so i hope we've inspired you so we've so i want you to go out there and write all right everybody thank you we'll talk to you on the next one thank you so much for having me tommy There's an infinite amount of books floating out there in the ether, and all you have to do is tap into your highest self and write it. What if you could go out in the wilderness or international trek and experience firsthand shamanic healing, mental emotional release, and write your first draft? Writing a book isn't about the book. It's about the integration and healing that that book facilitates, isn't it? Because when the book heals the author, the book heals the reader, and that's an amazing thing. If you've been procrastinating writing your book for years now, you can hear that book screaming for its life every night. Join me for a backcountry breakthrough. You'll experience guided trekking, daily energy sessions, mental emotional release, and writing sessions that guarantee a rough draft by the time you get back to the trailhead. Join me for a backcountry breakthrough. Go to mountainmindtricks/backcountry-breakthrough. So go to mountainmindtricks.com/backcountry-breakthroughs. Writing a book isn't about the actual book because there, there's gonna be those obstacles that try and derail you from the actual writing. The key is preserving through the pain of writing every day. The book begins to highlight your emotional deep core wounds in a way that makes you wanna quit writing, right? But if you stay on the course, the old beliefs, the old identity of yourself, the negative ways of thinking begin to fall away. And suddenly, a new way of being starts to emerge. This is when the book begins to come alive and write itself, because in this moment, you aren't writing the book. The book is writing itself as you have this internal transformation. This is the essence of healing through writing. Is your book screaming from the back of your mind? I know mine was. What would happen if your healing journey stopped here? You never got over that final hump. Your regret, remorse from not writing your book was the source of mind, body, future disease. I mean, what would you tell your clients if you couldn't work anymore? Go be healed somewhere else? I mean, what would happen if your business failed because you hold yourself back from your highest self? What would it be like if you regretted the book you never wrote and your last thoughts in your deathbed was, I wish I would have written that book. See, all these things are tragic, but it's possible for you to reach your big dream and be a number one best-selling author. When the book heals the author, the book heals the reader. This is a powerful concept because when books heal the reader, they sell and they go number one bestseller. So I'm starting this movement of healing through writing and using the breakthrough session to release the root cause of writer's block, that procrastination, that loss of motivation when you started writing your book or you had the idea and you never started. There's one-on-one coaching calls, weekly homework and accountability. After a comprehensive health assessment, we build habits and systems and goals to keep you on track. There's MP3 guided meditations, one-on-one hypnosis. And then I really teach you how to get published, how to self-publish or publish with my company, Mountain Mind Tricks Publishing. Then you leverage your book on podcasts, talk shows, speaking engagements, and you manifest that prosperity and passive income you're really looking for in your business. So I want you to check out BreakthroughWritersBlock.com and join the Healing Through Writing movement be the best thing you've ever done in your life because writing a book will completely change everything. So go to BreakthroughWritersBlock.com. Again, that's BreakthroughWritersBlock.com. Are you a new author that's trying to wade through self-publishing of 
what category should I pick, find the right designer, get an editor, what about the formatting, what's the dimensions that the actual spine of the book have to be, is it gloss or white paper, there's so many different things that goes on in publishing. And that's why I'm dedicated to helping indie authors that have gone through this healing journey through writing their own book publish that piece of art, publish that amazing work that could help heal others. And here's the thing, is when a book heals the author, the book heals the reader. And this is so huge. I know I say this all the time, but it's so important. And, and I wanna help the world make a huge impact by spreading more books that heal the reader. So if this sounds like you, I want you to go to mountainmindtricks.com slash publishing. Again, that's mountainmindtricks.com slash publishing. And if you're wading through should I publish on Amazon? What about Ingram Spark? How do I get my book into bookstores? What should I do to even launch a book? How do I get on podcasts? There's so many things that go into publishing. And again, that's why I'm here for you. I want to publish your book. So if this sounds like you, go to mountainmindtricks.com publishing. Again, mountainmindtricks.com publishing.